This is The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. This week, we take a look at what it makes a sporting club or franchise a successful one on and off the pitch, what the best clubs in modern day sports are getting right and what others are getting wrong. All that and more coming right up. Hello and welcome to The Back Pass. I'm your host, Shivank Dubey, and with me today, I've got our regular panelists, Gurpreet, Bhavesh, and Sid. Hello. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. Before we get into the episode, I would like to take a minute to just acknowledge the unfortunate and untimely death of cricketing legend Andrew Simons. It happened last night, and our thoughts and prayers go out to his family, who must be struggling in this difficult time. Unfortunately for this episode, Ali could not join us as his transfer request from Australia to New Zealand has been accepted and he's currently sorting out the details of his transfer. Even before the transfer window officially opens, talk about efficiency. And I'm sure that's something successful sports teams all across the sporting world right now possibly strive for. Speaking of top and successful sports teams, Bhavesh, what do you reckon are some of the things that make, you know, the likes of Liverpool... Man City, the Melbourne Storm, the Mumbai Indians. You know, you get the idea. So good at winning week in, week out and being the envy of every other sporting team out there. In a in summary, it would be not being supported by Gurpreet Rana. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's really the thread that binds all these teams together. I would have said by me, but I actually support the Mumbai Indians and I can tell you this season has been quite hard. <laughs> Let, let's put that out as an anomaly. Yeah, yeah, there it's a bit of an outlier of a season, but is that the reason you're wearing a Chennai color today? <laughs> <laughs> you take Chennai's name out of your mouth. This is a Brazil shirt. <laughs> this shirt, this shirt has history, and now I see it. Now I see it. <laughs> <laughs> this shirt has actual history. <laughs> no offense to any Chennai fans out there. Much love to you all. This is getting very disingenuous from me. Anyway, to answer your question, Shivank, to answer your question, what makes successful teams and i should know having played at an amateur level at a wide range of teams that have had at least a 50 percent win record uh, <laughs> some of the things that i think would help uh, just as a sports fan as an observer you can't really be an efficient organization without an efficient front office you know so we're, we're talking about the people who are responsible for running the club doing all the boring stuff that you and i don't ever see around on the pitch uh, things like proving transfer, scouting analysis, and so on. So that's really a key part. Of course, the manager uh, makes a huge difference, whether it's a manager as in football or it's a captain as in cricket, the chief tactician, someone who sets the tone for the team. I also think that you know the players themselves, they get a lot of criticism, they get a lot of praise, you know, it's up and down for them they're a key, because they're a key component of what makes a great team. You know, United's not going to wheel out Ralph Rangnick to play although that might be an improvement uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, shall i keep going <laughs> so there's also i think having continuity you know uh, having Pick some one. continuity for a club is so important as well we had liverpool's legendary boot room just fergie being fergie at united uh and we can't get past financial backing if you have the money and you're not in a league where there are salary caps or transfer fee caps or drafts, you know, where there's really no ceiling, a fully capitalist sort of league, then the sky's the limit. 
if you have all those other ingredients and then you also have the money, my God, you'll be scary. Quite the list. Like, I can't deny any of those things you've said, Bhavesh. Um, it all makes sense. As you went on, it just sounded like a blueprint for how not to be Man United in the last 10 years. Ouch. <laughs> You're coming Ouch. over in August, aren't you, bud? <laughs> going to see you in person then, aren't I? <laughs> Ouch. Why do, you, why do you think I'm working out in the gym so much? I am ready for you guys. <laughs> Oh, you're not. You can take my word for it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, okay, all um, shade at Man United aside, Gurpreet, let's move on over to you. How important do you think the board is in what they do for a team? And what else do they bring to the party? Great great question, Shabank. I'm going to try and keep this fairly generic and avoid referring to United too much. Because United are the example, especially over the last decade, of everything the board should not be doing. As far as franchises go, the board is the board is massive, right? It's we're talking about the equivalent of the board for any other company or, or corporate organization. If we look at the net worth of these organizations, whether it be Man United, some of the IPL teams. The various franchises out of um, pro sports in the US, NBA teams, for example, these are massive, massive organizations. Pavish touched on it. They scouting, analysis, sports science, conditioning, nutrition, and the entire social media setup. The board, for me, set the tempo for all of that. The, the entire strategy comes from the board. The other thing that I think the board play a massive role at, um, and, and when we had Stephen McIver on uh, three episodes back, he, he sort of touched on it, the, the culture would, the, the culture of winning, that comes top down, I think. The, the, the board really set the tempo. And again, I think, I think Pavesh made such a brilliant point. Well, when you have that intent that you want to win, and then you back that up with financial clout, like we've seen with with Chelsea over the last decade, like we're seeing now with Man City, with PSG, it it really, really means you've got all the ingredients. Just to piggyback on that as well, there's another really crucial component, uh, another crucial role that the board plays, which is governance and prudence. So, you know, we use the examples of clubs that are filthy rich, uh, either through commercial deals or because of uh, rich benefactors and you know how much m- and how the board sets the culture for the club and so on but you look at cautionary tales such as Derby County Leeds United you know clubs that have flown a little too close to the sun taken on a little too much debt and then gotten stung when things didn't quite go their way they bet big on success and when that success didn't come they ended up very much disintegrating to a degree, Sunderland had the same thing. So that financial mismanagement yep. comes from the top as well. So the board is very uh, important in ensuring the club actually stays solvent. That's uh, that's that's true. A um, couple of things you said, uh, Bhavesh, one was continuity. And that's a very, very important thing. Now, if you, you know, touch on IPL, two of the most successful teams is MI and CSK. Until the last season, they stuck with their core players and the results actually speak, uh, you know, for themselves. They've always been either in the final or winning or, you know, there and thereabouts, always in the top four. 
the moment they sort of moved away from actually not retaining the key players or the main players, you can see where they are right now. Uh, who would have thought that CSK and MI would be actually fighting for wooden spoon? Uh, <laughs> and and that's that's sad because when we discussed the IPL at the beginning of this 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 uh, pot, uh, the tournament, I think we said CSK and MI are done because they always make it to the top four. <laughs> who are the other two teams, right? And it's just gone the complete opposite. Opposite. So so continuity is actually very important for a successful franchise. How much they actually back players and this is what these two clubs always did. They used to back their players. The moment that uh, departed from that, they've seen the they've seen the results. I also think um, Punjab deserves some special kind of praise for continuity. They've been successful at just maintaining status quo for the last 10, 12, 13 years of IPL. Never gone higher, never gone lower. They've always been number seven, no matter eight teams, nine teams, no, or ten teams. Ten teams. <laughs> we are Bingo. proud of that, good Preet. You think Punjab should be proud of being number five, right? Being Punjab. <laughs> but they've gone and added two. <laughs> two free. Hey, we'll still make it. Who knows? We're still backing them. We always back them every year. But, you know, that's exactly... That's an example of what you should not be not doing. Do. You know? I hope yeah. I hope they don't make it. I hope they miss out because it's one of the calls then that we would have gotten right from that episode. That we got true. MI and CSK terribly wrong. I think we got Gujarat yep. Titans right. Yeah, Delhi is. <laughs> there, there it goes. I'm, I'm hedging sure. my bets on Delhi. At least we yeah. laughed at Punjab, and I think that Punjab owe us this. <laughs> <laughs> to be just 100%. to to be absolutely horrible for one more season, just so we can look smart. Hey, to be fair, we did call CSK the Chennai Senile Kings for you know betting everything on buying players over the age of thirty. Is yeah. Devon Conway thirty? I think he's thirty-one. There you go. But they they are the ones who seem to be performing for CSK every year. <laughs> no, Devon Conway is thirty, turning thirty-one in a couple of months. Oh, there you go. Well, there you go. He was a future prospect for turning thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Long-term vision. <laughs> yeah, but that's the point. You know, they've, they've stuck with their core players for as many seasons as they could. Any successful team. But the moment that apart from their tried and tested formula, they, they've suffered. Simple as that. And said, what you're talking about there, it, it again, I feel, relates back to that strategy thing, right? It, it, with the IPL, there's always this temptation to go for the new shiny thing, right? Mm. You, you, especially if you've won, you, you bid for the new shiny thing. But, but having that continuity and the combinations in place and and the culture that that then brings, all of these things, I think, relate back to Shivang's original point about what the board does, what what mm. the the decisions that are made about the the strategy and how that influences recruitment. All of this, I think, ultimately. When we look at what goes wrong and why some of these big, massive franchises don't do well, ultimately, I think it does go back to the board. Mm. Mm. And when you speak of continuity and you know um, long-term success and actually building for the future, one of the things that isn't often spoken about, but I think needs to be spoken about a bit more, are... <clears throat> the people in the front office that are responsible for running the grassroots network, you know, like uh, if you take football or rugby as an example, the, the the people that look after the academy that shape the next generation of talent coming through. 
uh, Shavank, such a brilliant point. Perhaps the best club side I have seen in 30-odd years of watching football. The the Barcelona side from 09 through to about 012, 013, the, the, the side that beat United, basically smashed United twice in, in two Champions League finals. Uh, I remember listening to an interview by a, a coach from La Masia. So La Masia is this academy that they have that produces players that then go on to play for Barcelona. And, and what this coach was saying was, if you took any two players from La Masia under the age of 10 and you put them on a football field and you didn't put the Barcelona shirt on them, I could tell the Barcelona players simply by the way they played, simply by the way they moved, by the way they touched the ball, the, the intent that they had. That's, again, what the board influences. That that decision to say we will invest into our ethos, into our culture at that very, very grassroots level. And that's what we will promote all the way through to the first team. It, it's, it's no coincidence that that team went on to become Quite honestly, I, I've seen United teams do the treble. Uh, I, I consider that Barcelona team to be the most dominant club side I have seen. And and a lot of that came down to just backing things all the way to the grassroots. Um, if I can add to your point, uh, Gurpreet, although it's not, a relevance, it's not a reference to a club side, if we talk about the Australian cricket team back in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, I think there was a blueprint of how a team should be. They used to back players like anything. I mean, we spoke about Andrew Simons and I, you know, uh, we wish his family all the best during these tough times. I, I, You look at his history. He was a white ball player. And when he scored that match-winning knock in MCG, and when he scored that uh, innings, he played that innings in the 2003 World Cup, he was told, now's your time to actually shine. So they used to back him. And because they used to back their players and give them a long run, that's how they made a very successful team. So that's a formula for actually, A, back your players and B, give them a long run. Don't actually put pressure on them uh, that if you don't perform, you're done. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. These two things are very, very important. Hmm. And I think along with backing your players, the other thing a board has to do and has to get right, and that sort of forms the next thing that Bhavesh mentioned early on, is getting your manager or getting your coach or your chief tactician right. Like you can't, actually have a winning club if you don't have a manager that buys into that philosophy or not just a manager i say manager because it's easiest to talk about football but you can't win or build a winning team if you don't get the manager right you take john buchanan for that dominant australian team you take gary kirsten for that indian team and you take um Okay, they didn't win much, but boy, did he revolutionize cricket um, for New Zealand. Mike Hesson with um, Brendan McCullum as captain, that basically changed the entire complexion of New Zealand cricket seven odd years ago. I think it's the fact that what sort of rapport they actually build with the players. Uh, it's also to do with man management, how much they actually can get out of those players. You know, what sort of environment do they create in the dressing room? Because that's very important. You can have the best coach, but if the best coach doesn't actually get along well with the with the team and he doesn't know how to use their players to the, to the best advantage, then no matter how good a player you've been in the past, but if you don't have those skills, you will struggle. Whereas if you know how to use your players to the best, like Dravid with under-19 team, he was a very, very successful you know person at the top and he knew how to hone the skills of those players. So yeah, it's, they, they play a very, very crucial role. 
it also helps that your name is Rahul Dravid and every nine, 18, 19 year old cricketer in India would basically treat you like a god. Absolutely. So anything that comes out of your mouth is basically gospel for these kids. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm pretty sure all over Karnataka now in all those uh, family shrines, there's a little picture of Dravid there alongside all the other gods. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Somewhere sure. in the back is Kumble quietly seething. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you Absolutely. know what? Let's not let's not uh, lose. Uh, let's not miss out on our own local heroes here. It's a Graham Henry, Steve Hansen, really? building that champion All Black side, mm. winning a World Cup for the first time in twenty four years by just inculcating those culture changes mm. over the four years from the two thousand seven debacle. You know the fact that mm. in fact Henry was backed after that World Cup and stuck around to build that champion team, which Hansen took forward to perhaps greater heights. Yeah, there's the role of the coaching staff also tying into continuity of the coaching staff can't be discounted here. And then you have the managers who perhaps aren't such a great fit for the club. Talking, of course, about Jose. Uh, Jose was uh, not good for United. No, 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 no. Uh, he lasted uh, less than three, less than three seasons. Yeah, Less than three. <laughs> yes, yes. But you know what three means? Three you know what three also means? Three for me, none for them. Respect, man, respect. Oh, that is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant, Pavesh. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Jose. It's very happy. Very happy. It's not a common feeling for Jose. Jose not sure what to do with the happiness. Jose is right now the happy one again. <laughs> and, and I mean, on, on, on Jose... Um, the point that Sid made around personality and getting that to effectively reflect what the what the senior leadership in in the team want to achieve. Jose, during that patch where he was he he basically came in and he made Ferguson and Winger think again. And and a lot of that was down to his personality and the way the senior leadership under him in that Chelsea side basically carried that that aggression and that that siege mentality basically took the premiership by storm for 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 two seasons um the reference to the all blacks um a very good one from from Pavesh uh the the turning point uh post 2007 according to Graham Henry and and a lot of that that management team was identifying that for, for the culture to, to actually be something that isn't just talked about, for it to be an actual thing, it needed to be embraced by the, the senior leadership group. So, so the likes of Richie McCall and Dan Carter, they became living, breathing instruments of, of that culture, of that expectation. Again, we, we've, we've seen that with, with various sides that, that Ferguson built um, over the years where you've got a, a really influential leader in the dressing room that is at one with the manager. Um, but in, in terms of, um, in terms of the, the management question, Shivank, I, I, I do feel that with the specialization that we see in pro sports these days, I think the role of the the manager or the head coach is diminishing. It, it might be a little bit controversial for for what we're discussing here, but I think there is so much specialization these days. There is so much science. There is so much money ball. I think that the very best managers obviously make a big difference. But I think if you get everything else right, 
if the organization structure, if the strategy from the board level is right, you don't need a Ferguson. Yeah, you don't need a Graham Henry or a, or a Steve Hansen. You can you can be just as successful without a box office superstar Jose Mourinho type manager. Don't know what you guys think about that. Call call me a luddite. Call me a luddite here, but I I think there's still room for that big personality of a manager, someone who can come in and transform the club, the transformational leadership. The more modular you make your club, the more plug and play you make your pieces. And my point is always, if every piece is plug and play, what makes you who you are? You know, there's the defining, at the end of the day, the, the, the club still needs a vision. So you might have a plug and play manager, but then you have to have a visionary director of football. People treat the director of football as being the cure-all for, for United's ailments. But the truth is, if you don't get the right guy in, you've got to keep replacing them. You've just moved the problem up the chain. You know, so creating, a, a, yes, you've got to create an environment where the manager succeeds, but having a manager who's purely just there to wear a tracksuit and give guys instructions, I'm not sure if that's the way I actually want to see football going because it does it does seem to me to be um, moving very much towards like a rent-a-kit kind of team uh, structure that we're looking at. Could be wrong. So um, with, with that one, you look at CSK, who stuck with Stephen Fleming for all these years, Versus Punjab, who actually had a new coach pretty much every year, <laughs> you know. And again, I'm not going to highlight the results. We all know who's been a better team over the last 12, 13, 14 years since IPL started. Um, so maybe a coach is actually playing a role in in pushing the team forward. And we can't forget that there's actually synergies between the coaches and the front office, yeah. if you want to call it that, like Pep and uh, Chiki. Right, so Chiki was at Barcelona. Barcelona. Now he's in Manchester City. He set everything up for Pep to come in. The question that I now have is, once Pep leaves and the next guy comes in, will he work as well with Chiki? And will that will Man City still be successful? So while you may delegate some of the functions elsewhere, you still actually have to operate as a whole. And those personalities, the vision still matters. Even if you're... Perhaps even if it's maybe shared across two or three people, that core leadership group is really important. A hmm. uh, p- point, point well made, Bhavesh. I, I guess I wasn't saying that the personality of the manager isn't important. I, I, as as you've so as you've summarized so nicely, I, I think it is critical. But I I think if you if you look at a club like United, for example, I, I think appointing someone just because they're a big personality. I know we had Jose on the show earlier. <laughs> uh, you know, a, a, a big personality or, or that 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 charisma, that that box office factor that we've seen United go for over the last decade. I don't think that compensates for having that structure in place. And 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 the question I'd like to throw back at you is, um, Pep or Klopp, right? The 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 two dominant managers for look. We we talk a lot. We talk a lot about United and Chelsea, but you know. Liverpool and City, they, they set the bar right now. Uh, it, it pains me to say this, but if we took either of those two managers and we put them in charge of this United structure, right, if we made them the figurehead of this United structure, uh, they would get sacked after two seasons. I, I don't think that, I don't think they last two seasons at United. Um, put it this way, Gurpreet, when Pep was Pep had announced that he's leaving Barcelona, every single club in the world was chasing him. 
Um, the fact that he didn't go to United, which was a far more lucrative deal at that point, financially in terms of image and everything, and he instead chose City, I think answers your point. Oh, and and the, this 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 point here, Shivank, it, it relates so well to what uh, Sid was saying about continuity. Again, I don't want to make this the you know, the, uh, the the morning of the last decade for United, but but for an organization of that size, right, the, the revenue that United generate, you know, worth over $4 billion, to not have a succession plan, right, to, to not know who the manager after Ferguson was going to be, because that was a right old mess. You know, th- there was an opportunity there to go for Pep, to go for Ancelotti, but United were just too slow to act. To, to not do all those things, it, it just goes to show that having money and having that box office factor, having the romance, it I, again, I don't think it matters so much. It, it, the, the, the game right now, sport right now, is is there is just so much cutting edge across all of the different disciplines. You've got to get that right. You've got to get that right. And then the right manager can make a big difference. Um, I'll throw on a question for everyone. <clears throat> if a coach is successful with a certain organization slash club or whatever team, does that automatically make them successful if they were to shift the club or an organization? No, plain and simple. Just look at Carlo Ancelotti and Bayern Munich. Or, or Brian Clough and um, Leeds United. Basically. Jose. Jose. Although Jose's got bigger problems now. And I say bigger problems because he can't relate to this generation of players anymore. I think that's where he loses out on most things. He was meant for a certain category of mindset, Mm. which is basically something that excelled at Porto, at Chelsea, and at Inter. But that generation's gone now. And this new generation of players is totally different. And he can't relate to them as, as well anymore. He can't build that siege mentality that can sustain itself. And the That sort of brings us to our next important thing. Um, Players. How much success does a player define? Uh, It's it's absolutely massive. Uh, And look, again, keeping this generic, whether it's football, whether it's rugby, whether it's cricket, whether it's basketball, recruitment is massive. The the amount of analysis, the amount of money that goes into recruiting the right personnel – to get that wrong, the cost of that, I think, is is massive. And, and we've seen that, look, uh, again, with United, the, the, the high-profile mistakes that United have made in the transfer market, it, there is a cost to that, right? You go and you sign the wrong player, not, not only have you wasted money and wages signing that guy, but the alternatives have now gone to other clubs. And you can't just go and sign them because those clubs also have money. I'll summarize it like this. The role of players is important, but it's probably about 10% of what makes a club successful. But don't try the 90% without the 10%. And what is that 10%? The 10% is the player's professionalism and desire, their willingness to work hard for the club, as well as their ability. But you know, the ability is really something a player can't control, and it's something that is vetted before they come into the club. So really, it comes down to their what's up in the top three inches. Is it three inches? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a metric guy. But anyway, it's uh, it, it comes down to their mentality. And that's, I think, as far as it goes, because everything else has been taken care of by the front office. So it's about 10%. But without that 10%, that club's never going to be successful. Conversely, you could have holes in the other 90%. And if your 10% is talented enough, 
and is mentally strong enough, they'll get you somewhere. Look at Real Madrid through the years. They haven't always had... They're pretty dysfunctional, actually, as a club. Very. Very, very dysfunctional. But they've got top-tier talent with top-tier mentality and a fantastic manager. So somehow the 10, maybe 15% is compensating for the rest. So that's that's an that's an interesting one, Bhavesh. How do we explain Gujarat Titans this year then, who've actually played for the first time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and have competed with the likes of MICSK and you name it, and they've been there for you know fourteen years. And the the top two teams right now, are the ones who've never played before, did they invest in the right players? I, I think I think or, the players are a big part of it, of course. And I think cricket is a slightly different beast in many ways, especially IPL, because. Unlike football and unlike uh, club rugby, say, in in the Northern Hemisphere, the IPL teams are selected on a draft. And Gujarat Titans, they're playing the first season following a mega draft. So it was more the bidding strategy of the teams Mm -hmm. and the recruitment in the back office that has helped because they had a very coherent Mm -hmm. strategy. And I think as soon as we Mm -hmm. saw that team, we all looked at it and went, this is actually pretty handy, especially if Hardik Pandya fires, mm-hmm. either with the bat or the ball, this team will be one to look out for. And that's actually what's happened, right? Mm-hmm. They've got a strong bowling lineup. They've got a, to- a couple of top-class all-rounders, and the batting looks fairly strong. So that's recruitment. They've recruited the right players, and the players have been a big part, yeah. and generally in cricket as well. Cricket is, like I said, a different beast because it can be very player-driven because the game is based on discrete events. A bowler bowls and a batter bats and reacts the more fluid the more dynamic games like like football where there are so many interconnected and moving parts at any one time it it is more of a team game and so the effect of the individual player is is reduced is diluted in the face of everything else that's around them Uh, just to belabor the point a bit more in football you are one amongst 22 in cricket Mm -hmm. for any one ball you're one amongst three the bowler the batter and the fielder that'll be involved that's it. There are three involved in any one event in cricket most of the time. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. That's where the, the skew is greater for, towards the players. And, and uh, when you take a sport like basketball, where we've seen aggressive recruitment strategies make a massive difference because, again, you're one amongst... There's 10 on the field at any one time, right? So you go and you sign a LeBron James or a Steph Curry, and it makes a massive difference, right? Mm-hmm. Versus going and signing a Ronaldo or a Leo Messi because there are just more moving parts. But 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 again, um, a, a, as you've alluded to, Bhavesh, I, I think the mentality of the players is is key. A, and again, I, I, I point to the, the Liverpool and the City sides. What we've seen consistently with these two teams is they've signed players, and yes, They've spent a lot of money signing some of these players. But when they've come into the organization, because of the structures around the recruitment process, because of the coaching in place, because of all the sports science, these players have actually improved, right? You you look at a, a, a Mo Salah, a, a, a reject from, uh, from Shivank's club, right? Um, <laughs> Thank you, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> See, every everything is interconnected here, right? Um, but uh, nobody, and, and look, uh, I'm going to be the first to admit, nobody would have predicted Mo Salah would go on to achieve the things he's achieved over the last five years. Uh, again, pains me to say this, but hands down the best player in the premiership over the last five years. 
Another example, Andy Robertson. Hadn't heard of him, right? Had not heard of him before he signed for Liverpool. Arguably the best left back in world football right now. It, it just shows that if you have the structures in place, you have the right manager, and then you bring in people with the right mentality, players who are who are hungry, who have the right physical attributes, and who fit into the structure of the organization, it, it makes for a powerful mix. Yeah, um, no, very valid point, Gurpreet. I think whatever you said has made perfect sense around there. Um, Andy Robertson, nobody heard of him. Best left back right now. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, we had seen flashes of his talent, but boy, has he gone on to the next level now. And and we're very right. Like all of this stuff is interconnected. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have on this episode for what makes a successful sporting team or franchise. We have a lot of things to still talk about and there's continuity. We have to get into that in detail. There's the financial side of things. And then there's the modern day revolution in sports, Moneyball. Um inspired by that book that became a movie, and then the general application of data science in figuring out who do we need to make our team go to the next level. We'll cover all of that in the next episode. Thank you to our panelists for joining us for this episode. We highly appreciate your opinions and thoughts. If you want to get sports nerdy with the team, you can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We go by the handle at the Pod. We'll be back next week as we continue to look into other aspects of what makes a sporting team successful, assisted by some more sports analysis and banter right here on The Backpass. Pass.